0: Downloads of this show are available on Potomatic.com and the Potomatic mobile app.
1: Hey, kids, you are listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, and this show is Fish Out of Agua with Michelle Carlo. Today, on our first broadcast, it is Tuesday, October 3rd, 2017. We have a lot of show for you today. So if you're listening to this later on on Podomatic or archive on iTunes, just know that this song by The Police is driven to tears. Why are we playing this song on this day? You'll find out in a little bit. And we're back with Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. That was The Police and Driven to Tears from their Zenata Mandata album in 1980. Oh my god, I like I forgot how much I friggin' love the police. It's like I haven't really played them that much and I just love the song. Like the bass line is just like incredible. Anyway, yeah, and so are the words. Too many cameras and not enough food. This is what we've seen. And like this was written in 1980 and or maybe 1979 because the record came out in 1980. But like today, you could say too many tweets and not enough compassion because at this airing, we are still or rather the island of Puerto Rico is still reeling from it's almost. Total and complete devastation from Hurricane Maria. And lest you guys forget, um, this is the second hurricane to pass through the island. Harvey did sideswipe it, but Maria hit it in its entirety. And people are still without power. They are still without cell phones. They are still without food. Ten-hour waits for gas. Um, Supermarkets are not stocked thank God the Jones Act was repealed. And why am I caring so much about Puerto Rico? Because this is where my family is from, okay? And I have elderly relatives, extended family there that are alive and are suffering. And anyway, I'm driven to tears by it. And I'm hoping that um, relief happens soon. Well, We have a lot of show for you today, and we actually also have a burrica for our guest artist this week. A very, you think, I'm not political, I don't think at all, but this woman, ay, Dios mío, she is going to make you wave your bandera and say wepa, even if you're white, or something else. (laughs) Anyway, let's get started by one of uh, the songs that our guest artist this week picked for this episode.
2: Sometimes when this place gets kind of empty The sound of the breath fades with the light I think about the loveless fascination Under the Milky Way tonight Got no time for private consultation under the Milky Way tonight. Wish I knew what you were looking for. Might have known what you would find. And it's something quite peculiar. Something shimmering and white Leads you here Despite your destination Under the Milky Way tonight Wish I knew what you were looking for Might have know what you would find I knew what you were looking for Might have known what you would find the milky way tonight
1: That was the church with under the milky way from the 1988 album Begin And now it's time for my favorite part of the show Woohoo Welcome to Fish Out of Agra's Guest Artist of the Week. Woohoo! This is my favorite part of the show, and I'm sitting here with, aha! Uh-huh. I always say that the person is my favorite, and I'm sitting here with one of my favorite artists. (laughs) Yes, I know I say this every week, that the person is my favorite, but it's true. When you're sitting here in front of me, you're my favorite. After you leave, I don't know. (laughs) Oh, I'm so kidding. Anyway, um, we are mixing it up this week with a visual artist. I think you may be my first visual artist, so please welcome a fellow Boricua and a fellow native New Yorker. Melissa Calderon. Hello. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, oh, I'm so glad. And yeah, you're my you're my first I believe you're my first visual artist. So it's going to be interesting. I basically have had um other like we're like storytellers, actors, theater performers. I've had musicians, but yeah, this is great. so wonderful. Thank you. Um, Melissa, let's talk about how we met because the, a lot, also a lot of times I have people that I've known, like some people on the show I've known for like over 20 years, wow. but basically we haven't even known each other for 20 months. No. <laughs> Not yet. No, so um, we met earlier this year correct Mm -hmm. at city lore gallery we interviewed curator of city lore elena martinez in season one (laughs) check it out please and um we were doing city lore was doing a gentrification program yes um i forgot what the name do you remember what the exact name of
0: it was I don't remember exactly. Okay,
1: well, we don't remember. But it was about <laughs> gentrification in New York City, and I was doing my show called "There Goes the Neighborhood, which is a, a solo show about the gentrification of Park Slope in Brooklyn. And after the performance, there was a panel of th- three different artists, including myself, I mean, plus myself, uh, Melissa... Um, a man named Neil Goldberg, yes. and who is a multimedia artist. He, he does theater, he does art, and he was doing... He did a, a video thing for the Museum of the City of New York. Yes. And then there was Betty Yu, the filmmaker. Wonderful. And work. you were the... Tell us about yourself.
0: Well, I am... I'm... Born in Bellevue Hospital, which I always like. Like I lo- oh. love to say that I'm born in Bellevue. The ninth like, floor? The ninth floor, <laughs> exactly.
1: For people that are not from New York City, the ninth floor in Bellevue is notorious as being the psych ward.
0: Absolutely. And we went, we drove down from the Bronx. And My mom had me there. And, and we and,
1: don't mean psychedelic.
0: <laughs> no, no, not at all. And Bellevue is well known for it. But, you know, I, I was... I'm born and bred in the Bronx, like, essentially. Like, I grew up in the Bronx. I grew up in a a nice little corner of the Bronx called Throg's Neck, which a lot of people know. And uh, I... I pretty much just had my entire childhood there, but I've always lived in the Bronx for the most part, you know, I've, I've moved from east, west, north, south, I've, I've moved around, as, as many as many New Yorkers know, you try to find the best deal whenever you, you leave the, the, the nest and you're looking for your, your first apartment, and I decided to stay in the Bronx, I went to college in the Bronx, so I'm Bronx through and through.
1: Wow. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. I mean, I grew up in the Bronx and I left because after I got I graduated from S V A and I was trying to find a place to live Brooklyn. South Slope was the only place that wasn't the Bronx I could afford. Yeah. And boy, did my parents give me a hard time. Did your parents give you a hard time when you moved out?
0: Oh yeah. Because I'm I good moved. Latin girls and not so often leave the home. Why are you going back to where we left? We purposely left these neighborhoods and you're going right back into it. That was the that was the speech I got as oh. I was packing up. For me it
1: was like, why are you going to Brooklyn? People get killed there. It's <laughs> <Yes. laughs> like pe- nobody gets
0: killed in the Bronx. Exactly. And I went from Throgs Neck, which is a Pretty middle class neighborhood. Yeah, no,
1: I know. That was the neighborhood of aspiration. I mean, I am a bit I'm probably about a decade older than you, but when I was, you know, in high school in the late 70s, like that was like the oasis.
0: Exactly. Up there. And, I mean, and we were one of the first Latino families there. Really? Tell yes. us about that. It was an intense experience. I tell people a lot, you know, like we my my family were very mixed. My grandfather's very dark skinned, very trigueño, and I'm very, very pale. And we here we were he bu- he had saved money, bought a house in Theroux Neck, and Are you allowed
1: to say what street does your family still live on it?
0: Well we're we're gone from there unfortunately, but we okay. were on Huntington Avenue near Preston High School. Oh my
1: god, so you're so, all the way like by Marina Del Rey yes. and Silver Beach. Yes, you're all by the water. The that was the Blanquito de Blanquito de Blanquito de Maceao oh, neighborhood. Yes,
0: oh yes. And and they wow. knew that we were not blanquito. Wow, what what year did you move <laughs> there? Well, my my grandparents bought a house. We were one of the first ones, and they bought it in 1967, Whoa. 1967, 68, right when they started building these tracks. And yeah, houses because that... those houses were just barely getting built then. Exactly, wow. he, he had gotten himself a deal, and you know, from what we were told, is that he had to pay a little extra to be shown the houses in that neighborhood. Really? They were not showing them to Latino families. But my grandfather was very much a part of the Bronx history. He was um, Deputy Borough President under Herman Badillo. Really? Yeah, Grandpa. What was, what was his name? Eugene Calderon. Wow. And, he, you know, he pulled strings as best as he could, and he got us into that neighborhood. Wow, and he sure did. He really did. And, you know, I always say my grandfather grew up in Brooklyn where they were locking the food away. You know, he, had, he was one of five. He was had to... I think the worst thing he ever told us was that as a child, he got the last of the bath water. So here he was having to bathe in everybody else's, like his four siblings and his mom's sort of like dirt, like because he was the youngest of them. And I think about like how he went from being extremely poor, barely having what he had, and he was able to save enough and got a house for us in Throgs Neck, and I had, was raised by my grandparents. So it was this wonderful thing, you know, and, and growing up in Throg's neck was intense. It was a very intense process. Like I said, they did they knew we were not blanquito.
1: Right. And and even even if you're light skinned they know there's something. They just say there's something something
0: about you. Exactly. Yeah. Until you yeah, say yeah. your last name, and then yeah. oh, there, there. That's yep. it. That's it. That's it. So yep. we got we got called names, especially my aunt who was adopted, and she was half black, half Irish, and I'm um, and probably gorgeous. She was beautiful. Half oh. black,
1: half Irish, totally gorgeous. Raised by Puerto Ricans. Mm. <laughs> and that's such a New York thing, and that's that's it the is. way. Th- I wish the world was like that. If The world was like that, then. They'd have to be at least one less thing for people to hate each other
0: about because people will always find something to hate. But at least there'd be one less. I I I very much agree. It was and and she really got the brunt of it living in that neighborhood. And we all did, you know. We got called spick and, and all sorts of horrible things on a daily basis. And finally, school. As the years went on, more Latinos moved into the neighborhood. School became more integrated. But for a long time, we was just us.
1: Did you go to public school? Or did you go to St. Francis? Went to St. Francis. Oh my god!
0: <laughs> I, we used to we used to climb the fence and like smoke weed in that schoolyard. <laughs> it's such a beautiful schoolyard. Yeah, the, like the huge rectory right next door. I mean, yeah, they we had private schools, so it was like wow. the whole way. in fact, my aunt, she was. We both. went went to St. Francis, both went to Preston High School. I, I have
1: friends that went to Preston. Well, do you have any older siblings or cousins? Just my
0: aunt, who we were raised together. She's only um. five years older than me, so like, even though she was adopted, like I was oh, always okay. in the house with my grandparents. I'm, I'm, I'm still probably like five years older than her. Oh well, it would have been really funny if
1: we would have known somebody in common. Oh, I, it would have been wonderful because yeah.
0: especially like that neighborhood, everybody really does know each other. Yes. And My aunt went to uh, Preston while Jennifer Lopez was there. Oh,
1: okay, yeah. So... I'm, I'm a couple of years older than J Lo. That's right. <laughs> I forgot
0: that J Lo went to Preston. She did. I got to see her. Uh, her two. Uh, high school plays with my own eyes as she right. danced and performed on the stage. <laughs> I always tell people, like, I saw J-Lo perform. She what performed. year was that? That was... It was in the Fly Girl days? 87,
1: Oh, yeah, so she still looked like herself.
0: Yes. Yes, she was still very Blanquita with the dark hair, you know. Yeah. Now she's sort of this copper goddess, you know. Yes, but Before yes. she was not that way. She was yeah. very, very pale, so, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, a... She's making herself
1: over in in, in an, an image, and at least she's not going the Michael Jackson route. Thank goodness. And whatever Jennifer Lopez is doing, I wish we could all do it because that woman glows. She does. She glows. She, she's, she's gorgeous. She really she's is. She's gorgeous. She's gorgeous. I, like, I, th- I think if I met her, I would probably faint
0: or something. Or just like I, I I think that she's she seems very down to earth from yeah. what I understand. Really? And I reme- I, from what? That's I, cool. I hope some people. I, we would hope exactly. Some people. It depends on how uh-huh. it seems like she knows who to who's bred to bother. I remember. I remember when my aunt would come home, because my aunt wanted to be an actress too, so she would come home and really angry, like, J.Lo, not J.Lo, because she wasn't J.Lo back then, but Jennifer stole the part in the play, so she really was doing Godspell, like, oh my goodness. Oh my God. J.Lo came in with her rendition of Day by Day, included a choreographed dance, my aunt came home super pissed, she was like, J.Lo beat me, and then finally, like, here we are, we go see the play, and then you see J.Lo up there, well, she wasn't J.Lo back then, but... Seriously, like, you saw a talent there. I remember seeing yeah. that, and she was very well-loved in, wow. in high school, so...
1: Well, that's good. Not everybody is loved in high school. That's, oh, I, were, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about them. Well, um, did you always know that you were
0: going to be an artist from, from like, the beginning, or...? I knew that I, there was something different, you know? Like, I wanted to do something in that way. But, you know, just as all good Puerto Rican parents and grandparents, like, please use that as gesture... You know your hobby. Please don't go into that field. You know, and so I decided I was going to be a history professor when I was leaving high school, and um, that was where I wow. went for my my degree. I went for, and then I decided to do. Where did history. you go to college? I went to Lehman. Oh wow! Oh, that's so right. You kept it. You kept it local. I kept it Bronx.
1: You know. You're I, lucky I, you didn't I, go to
0: Lehman High School though. <laughs> so close. But, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah, close. yeah, yeah.
1: You could walk. No, not really. It was far. No, yeah, but yeah.
0: still. But uh, you know, it was just something that I really loved. Li- I loved history. But you know what? Now that I'm older and I decided, I was like, I, I had lived in Throgs Neck and I had gotten a job at Bronx Council on the Arts, which is an amazing nonprofit organization.
1: I worked there. Bill Iguana. Yes. Bill I, 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 I was the intern slave number. So, <laughs> uh, from like 1980 to 1985. Wow. Yeah, all through, all through SVA. Yeah. That's and and like a year after, yeah, a little bit after graduation. Yep, yep, I w- yep. I was
0: in that basement on Hone Avenue in uh in Morris Park where they are and you know, it changed my perspective. I got to see other artists in the Bronx I had not known like living in Throg's neck and sort of being around republicans and I remember like literally 1984, they were like, bring your uh, your rally sign for your person. And here I was, you know, with Mondale, having my, you know, Geraldine Farrar and Mondale sign. And everybody else had uh, Bush
1: and oh my Reagan. God. In like, 84? Oh, I mean,
0: in 84. like. Were in, you old enough to vote then? No, but I was in fifth grade. So it was, <laughs> I was like, say. they had, you know, those little fifth grade projects. Like, yeah, who yeah, would you yeah, vote yeah. for? Yeah. And here I was, the only Democrat in, like, a room of Republicans, even in fifth grade. So, like... Just to tell you, like, how conservative Throgs Neck is. Yes. It's this really intense yes. thing. So finally, when I saw... It's like the Staten Island the th- of the Bronx. It truly is. Yeah, it is. And, you know, and they really wanted their, the minorities to be very separate. They wanted us to sort of stay where we were. And they probably were surprised that
1: you didn't come from the, the projects on Balcom and do Oh, of
0: course, because we were the one public housing, one yeah. block away from that. And then I remember getting chased out of Silver Beach. Silver Beach was the only waterfront access in that whole neighborhood. And it's
1: such a gorgeous neighborhood, Beautiful. too. Right on Long Island Sound, you could see um, City Island. You could see the bridges. Yeah, they there, yeah.
0: and you know what? We would get chased out as kids. You know, you weren't allowed to be there. I mean, yeah, well, it's, a, it's it's a private community. Private community, but like Edgewater, know, exactly. You sneak in. You know, yeah, you of sort of you get and in the
1: kids, there. As you best sneak. you sneak That's what kids do. They sneak. So and if you get caught, you get you know you get chased out. Pretty much. Yeah. You, so what changed you in college? Um, that that to go from history. Um, a history professor course to be an artist? There have to be some kind of little catalyst or like turning, tipping
0: point? I was always into drawing and painting and sort of building things and, you know, when I left college, I didn't I didn't quite finish, which I'm really sad that I didn't finish, but my grandmother had gotten very sick and these are the things that happen. Family, you know, throws, throws a curveball at you and she was diagnosed with cancer and I decided that I was going to stay home and take care of her while she was going through the chemo and eventually she did pass and I mm-hmm. never got myself back to college, but, you know... I had worked with Bronx Council. I saw that there were other artists. I saw that I wasn't alone. I started hanging out with some of these people. They were introducing me to more people. Next thing you know, like I'm meeting like who who we meet it. From, oh, from bad from bad. Yes, and Charles. Oh, Charles Rice Gonzalez, the fellow and, author. Yes, exactly. Amazing and, people. Amazing people. And how do you not get? How do you not be inspired by people who are just creating work when they when they show you that this can happen? That you could be this person and you can literally throw caution to the wind and you will have a community that's going to embrace you and help you to be an artist and I wanted all of that and I I literally moved from Throgs Neck down to a disgusting dirty loft on Ryder Avenue and 141st Street which is right behind Lincoln Hospital oh my god like the why are you moving to the South Bronx but you know what I, I met this amazing professor he had a a a a room in the back of his loft that he was willing to rent out, and I literally threw myself into the artist community in the South Bronx to building it, to working. Because it wasn't just people who were coming from over, sort of coming to the South Bronx. We're talking, this was like 2002, 2003. And
1: people don't know that there is or has been for a few decades now mm-hmm. an established and growing burgeoning artist community in the Bronx. And it's not just a nascent thing. It's new. It's been going on since the 80s. Absolutely. I remember when I was at SVA in, in the early 80s, there was an organization called Bronx River Restoration, and they and the Longwood Arts Project
0: was just starting to happen Absolutely, back then with Fred Wilson, yep. an amazing, an amazing. So Fred Bonosorio was a part mm-hmm, of that. I mm-hmm. mean, such like talent and a lot of these artists that are that were there at the time and have been there all this time are Bronx natives. You know, and I want to stress yeah. that because a lot of times we talk about gentrification and we talk about how artists are essentially the the, the movers of, of and then we talk
1: about the Bronx. No thanks, no thanks. You know. <laughs> But you know the but the, this is has been going on um, under the radar and over the rainbow for yeah. over thirty years. Yes, and it's and it's a very important th- thing, and I think people are starting to notice it now, and that's why the spoilers are starting to come in.
0: Yes, yes they are, and you know you have people that have have left have have tried to move around try to stick with the neighborhood and and you know i'm i've been there all this time like i've i've been able to sort of i couldn't afford living i couldn't afford to live in mod haven back in 2006 when they wow. were trying to raise my rent a thousand dollars i and, mean we're talking 10 years ago yeah.
1: and bad had to move well, yeah. the long were they in the longwoods art space they were in hunts point something they were in the
0: banknote building they were in the
1: banknote building and they moved they moved to a church they moved to st yes. peter's church in westchester avenue which is right near where i grew up such a beautiful space I, I used to like hang out in that graveyard like walk around and do rubbings <laughs> I, 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 on it oh, because it's goodness. one of the oldest buildings in new york city it, it dates back to the 1600s such a beautiful and building. my cousin benny found a 50 dollars bill next to a fresh grave so we used to go there thinking that we were gonna find <laughs> all right 50 dollars man like 1972 that was that's, that's, that's good that money. was bank that that's was, absolutely man bank. you're like <laughs> 10 years old that's bank you know how much mr softy that buys <laughs> My God, again! If you were like 15,
0: how much Boone's farm? Oh my goodness, 50 bucks and nickel bags. I would, I would literally be scavenging that park, like I mean the graveyard every day. That's terrible. I, I I talk
1: about my, I call it my well-spent youth, but like, ugh, you know, yeah, whatever. That's that's that's
0: what we did. I know, and you had to, you had to come up with your own distractions in certain parts of the Bronx. I know in Dog's Neck, like literally. It's built to keep people out of the neighborhood, you yeah. know. Like we, at the time, it was a two fare zone. Like we can't even discuss. We people yes. don't even even before there was
1: unlimited MetroCard. Exactly. It's built to keep people out, and it's built to keep people in. Yeah, because like you, my family were also pioneers. In 1966, we were wow. the first latin family to move into our building on saint peter's avenue That's Amazing, and all and like my father used to tell people that we came from the italian part of puerto rico because our last name is carlo so and i asked him once why and he says so that no one burns garbage in front of our door like they did to my family when we were growing up
0: how intense is that
1: yeah you know and here
0: we are like i mean in the like 70s in the to past
1: to pass basically
0: it's really it's really scary to hear those things because you know what it's almost like are we back at that point, you know? Well,
1: we're starting to feel like it's regressing as opposed to progressing, you know? Absolutely.
0: And I feel that way, you know? I'm I'm right now, I'm back in the South Bronx as I was moving around, as we all do, you know? We sort of find the cheapest place we can live. And I found a really great place. And I'm literally in... um, in a wonderful little street, in a wonderful little building, but there are three major construction projects going on right around me. One a government, one a few like that are market rate housing, and it's it's an intense process because it's it's constant noise, it's constant just people traffic, me trying to get into my building with construction workers just hanging out on the front, you know. And it's like I see all these changes, and you I see the different faces, and there's a lot of. Resentment and anger that you feel in the community, you know. Even me being a blanquita, you know, uh, Puerto Rican, which I I hate to have to say that, but it's like, I I get those looks and I'm like you know even though I'm I'm in the Bronx my whole life you know this is my this is my place but to yeah you get
1: you get you get a certain amount of resentment yeah and, and then like, people will say like what are you doing here and yeah, it's like yeah but it's, it's not
0: me man you know
1: like yeah. I'm I'm
0: with you i'm just as poor as you like yeah. we're, we're literally struggling here to try to make sure that we can live in our neighborhoods and not get pushed out you know i am not the problem but it's it's very easy to look at look at a person and sort of judge them by yeah. the outside and people are just like getting more hypersensitive
1: sensitive about that now i mean i touched on that in there goes the neighborhood because when I moved to South Slope, I mean, my joke was that when I first moved there, the neighborhood was full of, pu- was full of Puerto Ricans and now I'm like one of the few left, right. you know, but um, when I would walk down the street, like, the teenager would be like, oye, yo being mira Blanquita, <laughs> Na- and then I would just like start yelling at them and spend like, no more no nada
0: más, and they would be like, oh, snap, y- she know- won those <laughs> redheads, ella <That's right. laughs> está she crazy? Yeah, because every family's your, got one. You keep your little Spanish phrase, I, and that's what I do. Like I drop my little Spanish, you know, un poquito aqui, and you know, yeah. it's just so people understand. Yeah. Like, don't yeah. judge me by the book, by the cover. Like, there, I am, I am a, I am a, a Puerto Rican here.
1: But it's a hard thing because, like, I moved to that neighborhood. Even though I happen to be the same ethnicity as them, I moved there as a young art school graduate looking for a cheap place to live. Right. And years later, all the other art school graduates and the production assistants and the junior copywriters and um, the, the, the photo shoot stylists were, and, and the actors that got like little extra bit parts and, and the musicians that did the sidewalk cafe, they were all looking for their cheap
0: places to live. And then it just, it just snowballs from there. And that's that' I'm, I'm looking at that right now in the South Bronx, and it's sad.
1: it's it is sad. but speaking of snowballing, <laughs> ha, um, your artist I've been I googled you a bit, and your artist trajectory has basically totally snowballed into a giant boulder in the past few <laughs> years. So I want to talk a little bit about that. how did um, how did it
0: start? like what was your the first project that that got you on this path to like major commissions? Well, you know, I think just like very very many Latino artists or Latina artists, you know, you look for the community that you feel you can sort of identify with and 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 thrive with. Exactly. And one of the things is that a lot of Latino artists, they end up being a part of El Museo de Barrios Um, biennial, it's called the S-Files, and they do... Explain this for people that won't know what that is. Absolutely. So uh, El Museo de Barrio, which is on 5th Avenue and 103rd Street, you know, every... In in Spanish Harlem? In Spanish Harlem. El Barrio. Right on Museum Mile. They do, uh, every two years they do an exhibition of emerging Latino artists in New York or around New York City, and I was chosen for one of these exhibitions, and I had shown uh, a sculpture, one of my first sculptures that I had ever made. Um, They had selected it and shown it, and it was the essentially a tissue box attached to a wall with tissues flying out of it oh and um, so it's like an installation it was an installation piece and I really it was my first sculpture and they really loved it and they really took a chance on me so I was really excited to be a part of that and then from there just like I feel like a lot of actors you know you get the next part and then the next part and then yes and I always was a, a very firm believer of you know yes going to your openings going to events you know but I was always a believer of you know what each um, opportunity leads to the next, and that's exactly what happened for me. I, I showed my first show, then the next show happened, the next show happened, and then next thing I know, I was building a nice portfolio. I was I had t- obtained studio space, which is such a big deal for, for artists, and especially since not growing up with any sort of real art background, I really wanted to start making work that was larger, that was more sculptural, and... Next thing you know, I, I'm I'm showing in in Portland Museum, and I was showing at the Bronx Museum in Queens, and I was just so happy to have every opportunity that I got. And then my most recent wonderful news that I got was a New York City Percent for Art Commission. Which what's that? That and, sounds amazing. And that sounds like money. It <laughs> is. It is. I'm so happy. You know, as an artist, it's one of these little caveats of everywhere in the city. Whenever there's a new plaza, or a new park. Um, A percentage of that money, 1%, in fact, goes towards uh, a commission for an art sculpture or a piece that's incorporated into the the area that they're rebuilding. And I was selected to do the Roberto Clemente Plaza, which is in the South Bronx on 149th and 3rd Avenue, right at the hub, right where all the stores are. It's the second busiest intersection in New York City. I'm really excited, and it's going to be... I'm still working with the city to to finalize the design, the architectural drawings, but then as soon as it's a go, it's going to be built and put right in that plaza, hopefully next spring. That's amazing. So, really is excited.
1: there a statue of Roberto Clemente in that plaza? No, not yet. Oh, I wish there would be. I That's would be someone too. who deserves a statue. For people who don't know, Roberto Clemente was a fellow boricua. He was on the Pittsburgh Pirates yes. and I in in the 1970s, I'm not sure if it was the early 70s or the mid 70s, he was on a humanitarian mission to bring supplies, medicine, etc. to Nicaragua or some yes, someplace very- that, that had like a really bad either earthquake, earthquake or hurricane yes. and the plane crashed and he died. And it was on Christmas. I and remember. it was on Christmas. Yeah, I think 19, I, I seem to remember that it was 1971. I don't I know. Feel like you know what? 72. If you want to know, Google that shit. GTS. That's right. But Roberto Clemente is a friggin' hero, and he deserves a
0: statue. He does. And you know what? He is the most um statued quote unquote person um, in the world. He has more statues. For real? Yes. He has. Well, sports-wise, okay. he is one of the most of, of because of his humanitarian efforts. He has been honored in so many different ways, and I'm honored that I get to do it in a different way because what I decided to do, instead of doing a statue of Roberto, I decided to create an abuelo chair for him. A grandpa chair. Yes. So I decided, I was looking into his history. I had found out that he had grown up... uh, alongside his father working in the sugarcane fields in Puerto Rico when Puerto Rico had sugarcane, because no longer is that a crop there. Right, well, he would have been born in, like, the 1940s, I'm, I'm exactly. guessing. Yeah. And and you know what? His father was working in that field, and he was alongside him, and he talked about the history of sort of wanting more for himself as he was watching his father doing this horrible, back-breaking work. And truly, sugarcane... Uh, Harvesting is very, very difficult. It's it's, it's the reason of, like, the whole colonial background of, like, just the sugarcane production of the islands is just horrific in what it did to the people who worked those fields. And so what I decided to do is I'm creating 21, which is his number, um, sugarcane stalks that are about 12 feet high, stainless steel, that are going to be essentially a canopy over... His abuelo chair, and the abuelo chair is made of. It's going to be bronze, and it's essentially stickball bats and baseball bats. Nice. Because he, I wanted to sort of talk about how he, if he, he would have been eighty-three years old. Oh and my God! He that, would have, that's, what,
1: that's like my my mom is a, it just turned eighty-four. Yeah, I mean, it's it's that generation,
0: and they yeah. deserve their chair. Like I, I feel like my grandfather, he sat on his abuelo chair, and he imparted wisdom onto me, and I feel like a lot. So of So he times, was born in
1: nineteen thirty-four. He was he was a child of the depression
0: yes he was wow. and and that horrible time in puerto rico where the the economy was so bad we're talking about 30 percent unemployment well yeah mean?
1: they my my mom's family came here in 1938 i remember asking my my grandma why and she was like porque 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 hay un cabro en flaca y polvo because one goat three skinny chickens and dust yeah. people forget that there was a dust bowl in pr too it wasn't just in the midwest of the united states it there was, was drought
0: and privation yeah. everywhere. Yeah, you, you know you can imagine that the overindustrialization of the island, you know, really left a lot of people. Even though like there was jobs to be had, I mean, I've I did a piece um, working at a Centro where it was essentially talking about how during that time period they were using um, mass sterilization of the women of the island. Yes, and that's a whole other. I, I created an artwork about that, but that was a whole other horrible thing that I learned was I was looking into my the history of Puerto Rico and of women in the island and you know you just hear about the, these not horror stories but just like things that you you know they're a part of our history and I didn't want to shy away from that you know I was like yes I want to create these sugar canes yes they represent colonial Puerto Rico but you know what this was a history that was rough and tough on the Puerto Ricans and I'm not going to shy away from the history that needs to be told yeah. so here in the Roberto Clemente Plaza on 149th Street and 3rd avenue there's going to be this canopy of sugar canes on uh, you know and this beautiful bronze chair underneath and the chair is essentially the way I designed it is that the chair is going to always remain in shade so no matter what time of the day when the sun is overhead the chair is always going to be re- remain cool and under the canopy sort of giving Roberto like his respect that you know this was his little place of calm and of, and of you know and where you can sort of where he imparted his wisdom. And I you think. can restore yourself in that chair. Absolutely. And there's a big fat Puerto Rican flag on that <laughs> chair. So you know what? When that neighborhood, as we all know, there's lots of change coming, and there's gonna be about 7,000 new uh, housing units in that neighborhood over the next five years. And you know that the change is gonna happen in, in lots of, in these all these neighborhoods, we see it that's happening. And yeah, I'm like, yeah. you know what? I'm planting the Puerto Rican flag in this neighborhood for everybody to know for in perpetuity because this this piece is going to be there for 30 40 50 years wow so, yes that's amazing and that that's that's as good as it gets for an artist i mean yeah. i really feel like i i really want to create more public artwork so,
1: so you're going to impact the next generation and then and probably the next generation after that i hope so. and as long as the world as long as new york lives let me ask you a question is the chair functional can people sit in it? Yes.
0: And that's oh, what it's meant for. Great. I, can't I wait. want people to sit in that chair. I want people to experience sugarcane with snow on top of it in the winter. And it's gonna be fully colored. So it's gonna be the color of sugarcane, the color of the green leaves of the canopy. It's gonna be fully so it's you're gonna walk upon this thing that's gonna be brightly colored. What
1: medium is this in?
0: Well I'm the sugarcane are gonna be stainless steel. So imagine like a big stop sign, sort of in that three-inch stainless steel, but just twelve feet tall, and then the chair is gonna be in bronze. So you see those little Tom um, modernist sculptures that are on, um, what is that, the 14th Street and 8th Avenue mm-hmm. uh, stop, those, yeah, little, yeah, those yeah. little men? So the chair will look in that sort of patinaed bronze color. And then they'll have sort of these, you know... Uh, I know, her arms, be, <laughs> her arms are just
1: like going all over the place. She's doing like a little modern interpretive dance of like f- fashioning out of the drugs, air. It's the Italian dog's neck, yeah, talk totally, with your hands totally. thing.
0: But it's going to be stickball and baseball bats. So where are you working on this? I am. I currently have a studio space, but I'm waiting for the next. As with the city, with everything, everything takes forever. Everything takes forever. So the next hoop that I have to jump through will be when I have to rent a new studio space and be able to actually physically work on this piece.
1: Now, will you be working on this by yourself, or will you have help? I am
0: gonna be. I, I wish I could work on this alone, but I'm it sounds be, like sounds too a, colossal for one person. Project, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I have this amazing artist who actually we live in the same building. And he's a sculptor from Puerto Rico, and he's my project manager. So I'm really excited to be working with him, you know, to be able to have another Puerto Rican artist working with me, helping me, another Bronx artist. I feel like I'm, and also I'm paying him, so of course, you know, like I wanted to keep this, and that was one of the things I proposed is that I'm going to be working with local artists to build this. The money is going to stay in the Bronx. You know, I want to make this this pay-it-forward deal that I feel like most Latinos need to do with each other. I feel like we need to be able to help each other to be able to... Push everybody forward all at the same time. And we don't
1: do that often True. enough. Okay, the way I look at it is that it's a ladder. Yeah. And you're on your way up. And you have one hand extended up and somebody's extending their hand down to help you get to the next rung. That's right. Conversely, your hand should be extended down to help pull the person that's slightly below you up to where you were. Yes. So it's a progression. But I've encountered in my, in, within the Latino community, yes. people that when you
0: stick your hand out, they kick it away because they, they, they think that you're going to take theirs. Yes. And I've seen that happen a lot. And, you know, and that's something I don't, why and, are and we doing this? to col- each other. Col- <laughs> I think it's
1: co- colonialism. Yes, I, I I think that it's just the mentality that that we've been uh, indoctrinated in to think that there's not enough pie for us. I agree. You know, and it's like I sometimes. I mean, I don't know if if you think this sounds far fetched or crazy, but sometimes I think that the mainstream doesn't like. The, has more contempt for the Latino because they don't know what we are. Because we could be white, we could be black, we could be Asian, we could be any any mix in between. So
0: we, they don't know who's who's trying to get their pie. Uh, um, that is so true. And you know, and I know that you've experienced also you know, as we're talking about just the idea of helping each other, but just sort of the, int- I don't want to say it's internal racism, because racism is just racism, you yeah, know, raci- ra- is just yeah, prejudice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It,
1: it, it's not one thing among another one group of people, and another thing among another group of people, exactly. it's just,
0: it's every people. But to feel that way among your own la- fellow Latinos yeah. Yeah. Uh, is a really difficult experience, you know, and that's something I've talked about in my work before, and that's something that I feel like we should address, I'm like, you know what, we're all Latino, and to, to most Blanquitos, we are all still Latino to them, you know, like a lot of them are like okay you know maybe I'm not quite sure who you are but once they find out your last name they they pretty much pigeonhole you as as being a Latino and and that's it I'm like why are we stepping on each other's necks for this we're
1: talking about Puerto Ricans because that's what we both are but it's also it's all through the islands all through the Caribbean because the the colonialism just swept through all those islands one way and then another way. It's true. <laughs> <Man was> knocked <laughs> her head
0: off when I did that. No, it's true. And it's it's just really sad, but I, I believe in paying it forward. And that's yeah. what I'm doing with my fellow artists. Okay. I, and
1: that's karma, too. Like, exactly. I don't I don't think, understand people that don't get that. No. Like, if you... Whatever you want to get from other people, you have to be giving that already.
0: Otherwise, you're not going to get it. That's one of the things. Like, with Josue, who's Josue next who's an amazing sculptor, if you want to check out his work. Um, he is he just got himself an MTA commission, art commission as well. Awesome. And that was one of the things, like here we are, Like I have my commission, he has his, and I was helping him get through his proposals and he was helping me come up with ideas and just being able to have those soundboards, especially as an artist and especially in New York City where things are really, people are really aggressive with each other, but finding those people and, and being able to say I'm going to nurture you, you're going to nurture me and we're going to move along this ladder together and, and that is exactly what we're doing. So I, I shout out to him because you know, we, we really did help each other and we still have a long way to go like I said this piece is is gonna be installed uh, spring of next year so I'm hoping to get some Yankee butt in that chair oh everybody's
1: button that chair exactly the rainbow (laughs) button it's gonna
0: be great and now, I you're getting these wonderful
1: commissions and how does someone who's just starting out or who doesn't know how to break into this get to that point where you can be applying for these where do you find out about it I mean is it just a confidence thing are you in the right place at the right time where you're hearing about it is there a clearinghouse like what how to the young artist that could be listening that like is "Ah, ah, ah, I wanna I wanna I wanna so talk a little bit about your path into like how did
0: you were you able to even begin to do that well, I think that the first thing, especially in New York City, one of the great things about New York City is that the art councils of each borough are really well funded. They do, they, each one of them gives out their own grants. A lot of them have their own exhibition opportunities. And that's a first step because not only are they there to, you, for you to apply and get money or get a show out of it, but they're there to teach you how to be a better artist. So if you have questions about how do I get a commission, how to apply for this, what are my images, usually they have these amazing workshops. and that's exactly what I I did. I was going to the workshops at Bronx Council while I was working there and just gathering that knowledge of like, this is how I need to shoot my photos of my artwork. Okay, I need to have lighting that's outside of my piece, you know, and all these sort of things and getting your images ready. And then just really putting it out there to the world. Like NYFA is an amazing source. NYFA, NYFA.org. The,
1: the New York Foundation on the Arts. Yes, they, NYFA.org.
0: They have an amazing resource of opportunity. And, and that's all, that's always where I got. I've gotten most of my jobs there. I've gotten most of my, my exhibitions from there, just applying and just literally going whenever they have these portfolio reviews. Like El Museo de Barrio has these amazing portfolio reviews for Latino artists. And they have all these different curators that maybe you'll never be able to get to see on a regular basis and they invite them in, you pay 20 bucks, and you show them your work, and you know what? You never know if one of those curators is putting together a show, and it's like, hey, I remember seeing that artist that I really liked, and that work fits in this exhibition I'm putting together, and that's exactly what happens. And you know, the next show leads to the next show. And, and I also want to stress that, especially with visual artists, and I know that as, you, as a performance artist, you know this, like, you have to keep working at your craft, you know? And that's one of the things that I always, talk about. Like, I have my work has changed over the last 17 years from when I was first starting to work till now. Now, you
1: started as, your first sculpture was the installation of the tissue box. Yes. But were you doing sculpture at the beginning, or were you doing drawing and painting at the beginning?
0: Well, in high school, just like, I would always take my art classes in high school, and I really loved them. And I was doing drawing and, and painting at that time. But when I decided that I wanted to, you know, get back into this career, I really was thinking three-dimensionally. You know, like, I couldn't see myself making something on a on a on a canvas, I really wanted to walk around the piece, and that's how I knew I was a sculptor. I was like, okay, I want to be able mm. to see this in real time, in real life, and so I started making work like that. You know, and as I as I was going, like I said, I've made these conceptual pieces. I made a big six foot a uh, giant bamboo earring that said spick in the middle, which caused a lot of controversy. But it was a piece that was all about the things that we were just talking about, like not being accepted by your own Latino you know, community and sort of having to wear these symbolic identifiers that say, I am a Puerto Rican. Were they hoops? oh yeah there, I, it was a six foot bamboo <laughs> earring in the middle of the Bronx Museum I okay? love that said it. it people I were pissed I love
1: the Bronx well do you know oh. what what's that saying there's there's no any publicity is good publicity I Got agree. talk about me talk about me hate me talk about me exactly because that's there's it. always going to be like 10 or 15% of people that ain't going to get you anyway and like oh well exactly and, and, the, and the
0: people that will be defending you will be defending you twice as hard and I also feel like it was time for you to know, bring this back and, and put the mirror to my own community and say we are all Latino here, and I'm tired of the infighting of I'm lighter than you, I'm darker. You know, I am still. Yeah, one no, of no you. more
1: bad hair, good hair. Exactly. Get rid of
0: that. Just get rid of that. And there was, the people were really pissed about it, but I'm like, I don't care. You know, that was the whole point of it. It was really to sort of like do a little nudging. You know, but
1: you did say one thing that I thought was so that really, really touched me is that um, the the importance of just keep on keeping on, whether you're like. And how every gig leads to the next gig. I've done shows where there were like four people in the audience, and one of those four people came up to me afterwards, and I ended up getting a paying gig at, a, at, at, at the Bronx Museum. That's as good so as, yes. y- you know what I mean, because like you, you have to give 100% of yourself, 100% of the time, and you can never think that something is like a throwaway or too small for you to give anything less than your best effort. That's
0: right. What what is the saying? It's like 50,000 hours of practice makes you a master at your craft. Yeah, and I really believe that. I'm like you know. I'm always making work, no matter if there's an exhibition coming up or no exhibition coming up. And that's, I always want to stress that because it's really important for artists to know keep making your work keep educating yourself go look go out to galleries go out to performances keep gathering information and using that information in the work that you make and i feel very strongly about that will get you to the next level like that will truly and i know it sounds like oh very cliche but it's not i mean i really believe that it's i it's it's worked for me and i feel like that's the best advice i could impart
1: so if there were if there were 10 words left that you could say to that child that's in their room, or out on their porch, or walking down a street, or playing in an empty lot. That wants, that knows that they want to be an artist, but they don't know how because people are not, or society, or whoever is like not letting them. Is like making them think that they're not worth it or they can't be what they want to be. What
0: would you tell them? You have to ignore those people. Period. Have to ignore the naysayers, and you have to do what you want. And it sounds very cliche but it's truly the way it has to be. And it's not an easy fight. I mean, this is not an easy path to take. Art is not easy. If it was easy, everybody would do it. Exactly. There are very many nights of ramen noodles. There's very many nights of box macaroni. I mean, this is what it is. But it's like, do I want to... This is me honing my craft. I don't want to be a poor artist. But you know what? If it means that I have to sort of work little gig jobs here and there to be able to sort of work fully in my career, I want to do it this way. So I'm like... Do not believe the naysayers. Continue to do what you want to do. And yes, it's going to be difficult, but don't give up on it. Truly don't give up. I know it sounds so cliche, but no, don't no. do it. <laughs> don't give up because give up. the world needs
1: you and the world needs your art and the world is happy that Melissa Calderon is in it. Thank you, Melissa, Thank for being you. Fish on the Valor.
0: Thank you. Woo!
3: Y pagaron en la puerta, no hay tiempo para tristeza, vamos cantante, comienza. (música) Eh, Me paran siempre en la calle, mucha gente que comentar. Oye, Hector. Mi negocio es cantar y a los que me siguen, mi canción voy a brindar. i
1: We're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. That was El Cantante, the singer, from Puerto Rican salsa great Hector Laveau, another song that Melissa picked for her episode. And guess what, kids? That's our show. But before we go, I have an announcement to make. I This show is first airing on Tuesday, October 3rd, and on Thursday, October 12th, there is going to be a benefit for Puerto Rico and in the wake of the devastation of Hurricane Maria, it's going to be called Boricua Aid and it's on Thursday, October 12th at 7 30 p.m. at the Red Room, 83 East 4th Street. It's the top floor right above the KGB bar. Um, look on Facebook for it, it's all over the place. It is hosted and put together by the wonderful Nelson Lugo, who we interviewed during season one. Go check that out if you want. I'll be performing, Storyteller, Moth Storyteller, David Arroyo will be performing. There'll be singer-songwriters, there'll be acrobats, there'll be performance artists, there'll be clowns. It's going to be a really good time. (laughs) So I hope you get to come. Now, stay tuned for Brooklyn Bandstand next. And even though the show is over, the music's not. Well, it kind of is. This is the last of Melissa's picks. It's called When the Music's Over by The Doors. And it was live live at the Hollywood Bowl in 1968. See you next week.